Make Let's it happen. Do it. Okay, cool. We are live. Good to see you today, my EOS friends. Welcome to the EOS podcast today. We're back with David Packham from EOS 42. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, Brandon. How are you? Good to um, meet you again. Yeah, good to, good to meet you again. Me and David have a long EOS history now. We were we were doing this before the mainnet launch, one of the uh, initial podcasts when this started. So it's it's fantastic, fantastic to have you back. Um, the uh, guardians of the blockchain, EOS 42, I love it. Um, so <laughs> well, we, we, we were trying to envisage w w what is uh, a blog producer really there to most represent? Uh, and, it, and we felt there was a protective element there for the community. You know, we, we are the elected representatives and we're here to serve, but we're here to protect as well. So that, that was what drove us trying to think of, of uh, really what we, what was at our core essence of what we were, were about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's killer. That, that is what block producers are about. That's, that's a, that's a good take on it. Nice, perfect tagline, man. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, well, that's what um, it, it really also came off around just after launch. One of our members, Liam, launched um, EOS 911. And he did it just because he cared. And he, he was seeing all of these um, token holders not not registered properly. But but it was really off, off the back of that that we realized that there was this whole other side of uh, block producer role within the community and trying to really help them wherever we could. So. Yeah, it's been a wild ride, that's for sure, though, since we, we last talked, you know, and we, we started having a chat about it. But it, it's crazy to think that we're, what, four months in now since the mainnet launch? And so much has been done by so many people already. It's just insane, actually. Just how some people, I think, are disappointed and they maybe expected more. But actually, if you look at how much different groups have been deploying, how much work's been done, how many applications are being built, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I, the decentralized model m makes it all this building we've been doing is kind of like building this giant, really sturdy base as opposed to some sort of like real visible tower that's going straight up in, in a natural, you know, like, so um, I think it, the amount of work that's been in isn't necessarily really visible, but it's, it's stunning what's going on. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of foundational stuff. It's a, this sort of base protocol layer. You know, we, we've got some great examples with the Shintai project we deployed. And, and right now, people are kind of looking at it going, well, you know, you, you're having some kind of problems or you're having to delay it um, after launch here and there for a few days at a time. You know, it, you could look at that and go, well, that's, that's a sign of a project not going well. The reality is we're, we're encountering problems never seen before developing on EOS at that level. And we're working with, with the likes of Block One and others to actually put in enhancements to the EOS code base over time. They're going to make it even stronger for future projects as they deploy. And for me, that's just a sign of a really healthy, maturing environment. So, but again, it depends how people want to measure these things. You know, if you look at it from a uh, number of projects and how they're, they're viewing uh, with a when moon mentality, maybe it's it's less exciting right now. But I think... It, it all bodes incredibly well for where we're going to be over the next um, next six, 12 months. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you guys at with Shintai? I've been on the site and it was, looks like yes, had some liquidity and there was trades going on and it was, you know, people were leasing and, and so what type of hurdles are you running into as you scale? So, uh, I mean, the, the big one was, I mean, we had a, a really good launch and, uh, and a, 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 well, we had a really good launch. Actually, we had two enthusiastic launch where, people went slightly crazy for the first few hours thinking this was a bit like the RAM market again and not realizing actually you can't, you know, trade on your, your leases as it were. It's, it's a pure utility market. So once they, they got over that and started using the, 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 the application properly, uh, it went very well. Um, and I think uh, that gradually the market had built up to about 1.2 million EOS in the, in the Shintai lease account. Um, but, then we hit our first problem, which is as we got to the point of the, the, the shortest term leases starting to unstake, which is seven days, they started to unstake um, and, and that people were getting their money back. And we thought, OK, well, this is all going well. Um, so it just carried on and for about another four or five days until we suddenly noticed that the liquid level of tokens in the account was dropping and steadily. And we finally managed to trace back the error. Um, which is there's a current limitation in the in the EOS code base whereby every time you cut you call uh, the uh, undelegate bandwidth function, which is what undelegates your your tokens when you've leased, uh, it was resetting the timer for all of them, so it couldn't handle 
this idea of synchronous multiple orders, uh, which are on their own effective timer. So uh, it turned out Block 1 validated that they had intentionally put in that limitation to protect people from uh, bandwidth uh, and using up excess RAM. But of course, what that really does is it stops a more sophisticated application like this from running properly. So this is where you end up in the, in the situations of you're, you're actually doing some quite cutting edge coding. Um, Block One invited us to in, uh, submit an enhancement request, which has gone in, and uh, I believe now they're going to, to work that through and hopefully deploy it over the next six weeks, in which case we can return back to the original model. But my, my guys have had to effectively go through and, and code up a very sophisticated um, interim solution whereby right now uh, you have to call unstake every three days to enable uh, people to get their tokens back. So it's it's a bit messy. It's not as good as we want, but you know we're we're in these early days of uh, the cutting edge right now, uh, all of us. And I, the great thing has been, by and large, the community have been incredibly understanding about this stuff. They they've been able to step back and go, look, do it the right way. You know, we're supportive of you for for just putting in this time and effort and, and the value adds. And most people kind of get the bigger picture with this stuff. You you get some people who are pissed off, and I understand that, but. Yeah, overall, the project's going very well, and I think we're just about on top of all of those issues that were causing some, some outages in the first couple of weeks. So you guys basically pushed a fix to the, the protocol level with, with Block One, and they're going to change the protocol level of the Yeah, we, to... we've, um, we've put in an enhancement, an enhancement request. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's so cool. it's, it's currently been filed with them to do. Um, they, to, to try and speed things up, we're actually going to submit the code uh, request or the code enhancement ourselves as a, a suggestion for them to review and test. So provided they're happy with that, they'll deploy that in the next window of release. And uh, and obviously we then need to test that on on the main test nets, Keelan, for example, make sure everyone's happy with it. Uh, and so it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy process now. I think we're getting beyond these this idea of you know firing in quick rapid code upgrades now to EOS. It's starting to mature to the point where at least it's maybe monthly or less, and that's. That's a good thing. But nonetheless, when you hit something like this, it's a little frustrating when your the, the model you design the entire thing around has to be adapted around a, a limitation, you know? Yeah. And so you guys you guys put a stopgap in. What's the effect on the on the end user if with the stopgap and how does that affect them? So, so what it means is whereas you and I might take our own account and if we undelegate, you you know that seventy two hours later you you've got your tokens liquid and you can move them out. Do whatever you want with them at that point. Uh, what it now means is there's a there's a 72 hour window being called, but you you may get your tokens back in 72 hours, but it might be you just missed the window and have to wait a full three days before it gets called again. So it, it, in other words, now we're having to tell people you're going to be getting your tokens back between three and six days. In okay. other words, it'll average four and a half days per per unstake now, which is what's what that's actually going to do in practical terms. And it's great watching the market work in these. Is, People are pricing that in and they're saying, well, in that case, now I know that if I'm going to lease on the seven day market, it could take this much time to actually get my tokens back. Uh, I want more money for that. <laughs> so it's immediately adding cost onto the market. And, uh, and that's what you would effectively see with the likes of things like transaction taxes and um, transaction charges as well, or any other kind of form of uh, manip either manipulation of markets or distortion. And this is where tax has a distortionary effect on, on mark free markets. You, it typically ends up pushing up end, end user costs. So we're seeing a direct example of that here where effectively end user costs for people leasing is being pushed up in the short term while this is in place. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And so with the when someone say we do a seven day lease, uh, and then I wait for it to unstake, or can I, instead of waiting for it to unstake, can I release on another seven days without having that gap, or do you have to wait the days and then? Yeah, at the moment you have to. We're about to put in a, an enhancement. That's another thing we're working on to enable uh, the, the liquidity pool to gradually, when it, and it establishes over a certain size, so you will be able to do that instant releasing anyway. So once the enhancement goes in, it'll be a guaranteed 72 hours for unstaked regardless, because that, that code enhancement will be in there. But over time, what we're going to do is, is change it so that the only time you ever have that is when you take the, the, the um, tokens physically back out of Shintai. And while you're releasing, you'll be able to instantly release back in the meantime. So 
It's it's an interesting one. It's actually much more complex than it sounds, token leasing, because if you think about the, the, the various DEXs, they've just got liquid tokens, and they're trading around between them, and you've got exchange rates to factor in. In some ways, that's actually simpler than token leasing, where you've got these multiple states, and you've got this whole concept of, you know, unlocking of, of tokens and locking them back up, liquid and illiquid states. It, when you actually look at all that, it's it's some pretty substantial code required to, to do that. So, yeah, yeah listen, it's been a, an awesome experience so far, giving something like this to the community. It's, uh, it's just a, a frustrating when the guys put in this much time and effort that it's not been an absolutely perfect release yet. You know, we're, when we get there, I think uh, everyone's going to be very, very happy. And the nice thing is that we're only just starting to get to the point of needing this sort of uh, level of liquidity that Gentai offers. You've got things like Bank of State, which is a kind of emergency leasing option right now. And we're about to deploy the ability to lease to other accounts as well. So it'll, you'll be able to do something similar with Gentai anyway. But really, Gentai is kind of there to be the industrial size scale solution for the community as leasing becomes the standard part of the economic model over time. So we, we should see that gradually, I think, become a bigger and bigger part. And the other big thing we're about to do is implement the front end for Rex as well. So uh, I'm sure you know all about Rex as well. Dan's got an alternative solution. And interestingly, he's got around that unstake problem by using a privileged system account for Rex, so which is why it really ought to have a, a referendum to approve this because it's, it's some fundamental changes to the underlying nature of all this. And uh, that's all well and good, but uh, it doesn't have a UI. It doesn't have a front end at all that's going with that code. So what it needs now is quite a sophisticated front end to enable leasing. So obviously, <laughs> we have some experience in this area. Uh, so we are therefore going to try and build out something that interfaces and enables people to just pick their market. You can pick the Rex market, or you can pick one of the Shintai leasing markets, all in one, you know, and it should hopefully be quite quite flexible and uh, and be be uh, a big value out for the community. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I imagine it'll be similar to the Shintai interface as well, the UX. I, I think it will. I mean, it's going to have some other components, of course. So we are about to add, um, uh, at some point, we'll switch on the best solution we could find for voting, which was some sort of proxy that's going to be managed um, as much by a community proxy as by any of the idea of the BP sponsors having some involvement. But it's primarily going to be community managed. It's because we thought, well, at least then we can get something that fits with the value set of Shintai and it will be able to dynamically change based on BP performance. But it is almost impossible as far as we can work out to have dynamic voting for every single token holder. But Rex, again, can get around it with this idea of using the privileged uh, system account that, that Dan, Dan's, Dan's sneaky. He's, he's managed to work out a way around some of the limitations we've faced by virtue of effectively using the underlying system uh, contracts as well. So that, that's all well and good, but what it means in terms of the UI is if you've got mandatory voting, you're going to have to have a mandatory voting interface up front before a lease is accepted yeah. um, <clears throat> as well. So there, there's going to be some elements there to build in. It's not a small job for us, but it's next on our list as soon as we get this next um, next enhancement of, uh, of Shintai 3. Yeah. How do you see that uh, the proxy voting being done by the community? How, how, how does that dynamic work? I, well, we're, we're kind of trying to talk this through, actually. So uh, EOS Detroit are doing some great work for us. They're one of the sponsors of, of, uh, of Shintai. And, and actually, looking at the sponsor list, it's a pretty global list of 11 VPs. And, and part of the model for that was we wanted it to make sure this became a it's going to become a community-owned and maintained and run at long-term anyway when we hand over the keys fully. Um, but th there's an element there you need, in my view, a high degree of, uh, of security around it. So that's why it has 11 BP MSIG protection on the, on, on the contract, which means that the, the code base cannot be changed without review and sign-off by the majority, a majority of the, uh, of the, the BP sponsors. So people obviously can therefore take a look at that and it is far more secure than in theory, you know, um, the majority of other smart contract solutions you're going to see out there where in theory something could be changed uh, without that kind of level of review. Uh, but I think the way, going back to your question, the way this is going to work is that we'll probably have um, at least half of the... Um, the, the sort of committee that ends up reviewing and making decisions relating to the proxy and changes on it being from the community. So we need community representatives from the Shintai 
stroke EOS community that can, can step up and actually get involved. For me, they need to be informed. So they need to be very plugged into the community and have a good idea what they're talking about. So it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So we're going to propose that. We're going to get that all defined out amongst ourselves as a group of sponsors. And then we'll, we'll publish that out for circulation and get the community to give their views. I think some people just assume we would switch on the proxy already, but that's not the case. There is no um, proxy at present. It's just, it will be switched on at some point. Yeah, actually I've heard, I've heard someone mention that, uh, that, that Shintai had a proxy vote. So yeah, that is yeah, not yet. something to, that means could be. But I, I do think it's a good idea. I think if it's done right, it, it, it will be a positive. Um, but it, you know, it shouldn't be controlled by me, any one person, any more than the, the project should be. I mean, if this is going to sit here and be a community project, it should be a community proxy, if that makes sense. And, and let's, let's look at the, the size of what the proxy could become. I mean, if, it's, if it managed to notch up one and a half million tokens in, in a couple of weeks, it, it could be 10 million plus in, in six months. That's mm -hmm. a big proxy. That's a very big proxy. It's a very powerful proxy. And uh, for me, that's too powerful to sit in the hands of, say, one BP or even 11. So, yeah. And especially self-interested BPs. So it definitely has to be thought through carefully. So we're taking our time on this. We want to make sure we get it right, the proposal, and then we can take it out to the community and we'll see if we can get a, a consensus view from there. I'd be interested in your thoughts, actually, when you uh, maybe have a think about it as well. Yeah, I'm, uh, my my wheels are turning fast right now, but I'm <laughs> but that's that's a heck of a you know that's a heck of a a uh, problem set there. But but yeah, I'll yeah. I'll shoot some ideas to you in Telegram as as I think about that. Yeah, um, that would be good. That would be good. And yeah, anyone listening, I, I guess, can hit you up in uh, the EOS forty two in your Telegram chat and throw some ideas out there too. I'd imagine. So yeah, that would be good. I mean, also if anybody wants to volunteer to be on the uh, on the the proxy management, right? I mean, we we need people to put their their hands up and, and they can they can join a group to be assessed as to who might be best placed. And I think it needs to be a diverse group with a diverse range of opinions too. Mm -hmm. So that's the only way we're going to get something that's reasonably representative of a community proxy. But I think it also needs to fit into that value set of what the project's trying to be there for. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, you guys are, there's a, there's a battle. Like, do you want to have the community elect basically representatives to be on the, the board that's going to vote here? Or do you want to kind of appoint representatives who represent what Shintai, you know, Shintai's values type of? Type well, of also, and, and then, then, you know, I, I don't like the idea of any proxy having sort of instilled people who can, who stay on it forever either. I like the idea that, I mean, I, I saw one proposal, which was, oh, well, you know, the, the, the 11 sponsors should be guaranteed a place on the proxy for at least mm -hmm. the first 12 or two years. And I said, come on, man. We should all be able to be kicked off whenever. Mm -hmm. If we're crap, we deserve to be kicked off it. You know, I mean, by all means, let's add us on, on, on for the first, you know, when the thing launches, but we should all be up for, for being toasted whenever the, first, the, first, the group gets together and have a review. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, yeah, in the, um, it'll take a lot of community engagement for people to be voting for people who are going to vote for block producers. You know, that's, that's a, yeah. that's a second layer of, of community engagement there. But, uh, but the well, it's a criticism of Rex as well. Sorry. Uh, so because, because Rex puts in mandatory voting of 21 BPs. Mm -hmm. You have a risk there that people are just going to hit the top 21 because it's convenient on the list or yeah. random BPs. Uh, and that, that doesn't help the voting situation it could concentrate votes more up into the top 21 or it could lead to you know random votes that i suppose actually even out over time mm -hmm. may not actually add any value so yeah I, I would imagine that a lot of people are going to go and just click through the top 21 and call it a day um yeah if they're uninformed yeah absolutely yeah. They, they, if they've got no idea who they're voting for you might logically look at it and go well look the top 21 must be pretty good because that's how mm -hmm. they got there yeah. Therefore, I'll just play safe and vote for the top 21. Yeah, a little bit of confirmation bias. I can and, definitely see that, yeah. And, and what that will do, of course, is um, it's, it's decentralized the, the, or it's distributed out the, the vote concentration quite nicely since the launch. You remember we had a lot of, a lot of talk about how concentrated it was in the top 21 in the earlier days. And it's spread out nicely now a lot more. But if, in theory, it may reverse that a little bit. It'll be really fascinating to see the impact of Rex when it launches and mm -hmm. see what happens. 
And we have the voter decay to take into account as well. I mean, that, that's one of the positive things about the voter decay is that those people who are uninformed in voting um, just kind of get it done. That won't, that won't have a lasting effect. That won't have a permanent effect necessarily. So, No. Well, actually, voting decay is a really fascinating one. I mean, we're starting to see it. We're, 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 we're pretty low down by our standards at the moment. We're in, just dropped to 16th. Um, so, you know, typically we've been a bit higher than that in, in the top 10. Um, but it's incredibly bunched up. There's almost, you know, four, four million votes. It would push us up into about seventh right now. So whereas in the, in, if you went back a, a couple of months ago, four million votes would maybe move you up or down one spot. It was so, so spread out. Um, mm-hmm. But voter decay has become a huge thing. So if you, if you took in out, out voter decay right now, I think we're on 101 million votes. With voter decay, we're we're on about 89 million votes. So yeah. huge uh, discrepancy, and you do see that it impacts certain VPs more than others. So I think all the community, what I would call the community VPs, with the most unique number of unique wallets. So that tends to include the likes of EOS Authority, uh, New York, uh, uh, Canada, ourselves. You know, I mean, there's others, Grey Matter, another one. The, the smaller voter wallets um, tend to be the ones to forget to renew. Or maybe they just don't, don't think that their vote matters that much, you know, because they've got a relatively small holding. But of course, like democracy, it adds up over uh, those small numbers and makes a big difference. Yeah, it's almost like there's, there's two campaigns for the block producers. One is to get the votes and then one is to remind people to like renew their vote, essentially. So that's uh, – what's it take to um, – when you renew, I actually haven't even renewed my votes and I'm, I've been, ah. I know. <laughs> now that we're talking about it, what's it take to renew the votes? You go back in and is it just, yeah, you just go into, I mean, I, I still at the moment until uh, the first hardware solutions really kick in and which is not far away. I mean, we've got some, some viable options now, but I'm still using the grain. That's what I personally, I think it's very good. And yeah. uh, as hot wallets go, it's, it's great. You literally just go in and you just re-hit the submit vote button. You don't, if you don't want to change it, and it will submit for all and okay. and renew your vote. It's as simple as that. So it's a case of log into your wallet and hit submit again if you wanted I to. Can, renew. I can do that on your behalf, man. I'm, it's not going to move you guys <laughs> much, but uh, yeah, I can. If we if we go up by five million votes, you, you'll see. <laughs> uh, then I'm yeah. outed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> Boy, uh, we all knew you were a massive whale. So the <laughs> happy money man indeed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. Happy money stands for uh, you know happiness, finding a way yeah. to be happy without money. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like like at the London event that um, I, I was recently speaking at, and, and EOS came up a lot in that, as you would expect. So mm-hmm. it's. It, I think it's, it's fascinating seeing the community uh, from from all around the world start to speculate on some of these these things on where EOS is going to be over the next ten five five years and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, you were saying that you were on the um, on the panel at the London conference just recently. That then you guys had a a topic and someone asked where are we at in kind of adoption compared to the internet? Like, what year of the internet would you be in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the, one of the questions. So this this was an event run by um, SBK Crypto, who are one of the EOS VC funds. They got um, they got a, a fifty million dollar uh, award from Block One to invest exclusively in EOS projects. Um, on the panel there as well, um, you had Galaxy Digital, um, the head of uh, Europe for Galaxy Digital, um, Stephen um, Keo as well. Um, with, they had. Um, Virgin Ventures, so that's one of the that's the side that runs Richard Branson's private fund, uh, and otherwise it was uh, it was it was a couple of others as well, including um, Jess Holgrave of Shios uh, and Codex Protocol. So really, really great panel, super smart people. But but the, the interesting part about that really open open ended question, which is you know where where does this what year are we in if you compare this to the internet for argument's sake here? was that everybody in decided and agreed that um, the Netscape moment was is still seen as a seminal moment for the internet in about 1994, because before that, you did not have a proper web browser as we know it now. Um, really, if you look at what Netscape deployed with, it's pretty similar, even to this day, to what we, we use for web browsing now. They haven't really evolved much in, in that time in the last 25 years. Uh, and 
actually, uh, every single person ended up opting for a time before 1994 uh, at some point. The, the, the ranges were, I think, 1987 through to 1993. Uh, and I went for 1992, to, if, you, if you're wondering. But, but I, I think for me, uh, my answer to this was that I think the, this, the, the Netscape moment is that point where the fiat gateway, the fiat crypto gateway is broken down. So we have a seamless uh, capability to, to spend in either currency back and forth uh, in a completely seamless way. Uh, we're getting ever closer. We're inching towards it, but we're not there yet. And until we do, I think we're not going to see mass adoption, which is also feeds into one of these big challenges that we have. And that was another question that came up for the future, which is around mass adoption and some of the challenges that blockchains have got with regards to that. Yeah, that, that missing link, that fiat and on-ramp. I was just speaking with um, the team with EOS, or the Lynx wallet, which is a really clean mobile wallet. And, yep. um, and they've made it so easy to basically create an EOS account and start sending EOS. But I asked what the biggest hurdle is still, and it's, it's getting the actual EOS after, you know, you can have the wallet and you can have everything, you can get the account set up really easy, but how do you get money in fiat into the system? And that's, it's basically the same thing you're saying is that when that happens, it's going to be a total game changer. It is. Part of the challenge we all have to remember as well, which is adds another layer of complexity to this, is, is money laundering. So there, there is a deliberate uh, interest and, and attempt right now by governments of all persuasions to, to not make this an easy task right now until we have... KYC, know your consumer, and implemented in some fashion. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit like if you ever make a really large money transfer into your account, you can pretty much bet your and it's and it's not normal. You can pretty much bet you'll get a call from your bank sooner or later asking you what that's about, and they may even freeze your account as a precaution. There's a form there of KYC, which is it's the same kind of principle right now, and uh, and and they're very worried that if they just let that down, it's just going to become a mass money laundering exercise for. The criminals. So I think that's something that again has to be factored in, and that's where some of these side chains um, and, and others that are working on the identity issue uh, are really trying to get to as well. Because most of the stuff around identity and KYC is all focused on assisting the this fiat on ramp problem that we have. Yeah, and I guess that's why naturally Warby's Warbly's been getting a lot of hype here, is because they are trying. They are basically creating this sister chain that has full KYC AML if you opt into it and a fiat on-ramp hopefully. And so they are actively trying to address it. What do you think about that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've, I've been a board advisor for Warbly since it's in pretty close to its inception in January or February. Uh, and, and I mean, back then the project was obviously very new and, and it was much smaller than the original team. Uh, because I'm, I'm from a finance background myself, I, I very passionately believe in what they're trying to do. So the idea to me of a, a, a an EOS-specific chain that is much more heavily controlled for the purposes of being able to achieve KYC uh, and, and the blessing of governments to enable this interfacing is a huge, huge deal. If they crack it, Warbly will be potentially the biggest chain of all if, it, if they manage to crack that. And they're, they're making some really positive steps along the way. They face all the kind of hurdles you would expect of, of trying to raise and, uh, and, and set up in a crypto winter. Yeah, I mean, if they'd been doing this, you know, a year ago, they, they'd have been sitting on a war chest of $250 million by now. But instead, what they've done is they focused on getting out and doing. They've built community around them. They're building the chain. It's about to deploy in a pretty much a week's time from now. And it's doing it by a combination of, uh, of the leveraging the EOS community and, and really showing and evidencing that they've got the team to actually get on and do things. So really now it's going to be a case of once, it's, um, once the chain's up and running, it will be fascinating to see, I think, then um, the applications that select and opt for it. With its, in some, some cases, it's got superior configuration, in my view, to the mainnet. And that will be fascinating because we're about to see for the first time the intentional design of EOS, which is multiple EOS chains. You know, and it's it's a great thing, and I'm I'm glad to see the the communities responded well to that, and not with some hostility as a kind of rival thing or anything. It's good. Yeah, it's it's hard to wrap your head around why a sister chain or why competitive chains to EOS would uh, benefit, but I think most of the people who are in the EOS right now have take the time to to learn and understand it. So yeah, it it is cool to see the community embrace sister chains for sure. 
Yeah, and I think before that, that, that terminology was, was being adopted, of course, we had Telos. And we had some other weird one, though, right? Just before um, the law. EOS Black, you know, maybe? Uh, I don't know. There was that other one. It was EOS. Yeah. It, it was before the mainnet launch itself, it was going to launch, and it then just petered out and died. But I think the, the thing about Telos was that it, it, it started to launch and, and came out with all these configuration changes and was quite critical of the mainnet within its first few weeks of launch to a, such an extent that because it was really being primarily driven by BPs or BP candidates who had had a blowout in the elections, it looked quite cynical, I think, to people. But mm-hmm. you have to say, actually, though, looking at the, you know, I've, I've watched a number of the their ongoing calls that are being broadcast quite regularly on, on YouTube. They've got a super professional team, in my view. And some of the configuration changes they're putting in really are very, very innovative. So I think it will be really good to see how that one as a, as a chain um, works out as well for me. Uh, and I wish them the best of luck. In theory, that could just be yet another one of, in the rich ecosystem of EOS chains that we, we see start to form. It, this is all reliant, of course, that they're all rival chains in reality until we crack into blockchain communication between them. But mm-hmm. at that point, then they can service one another, which is great. Yeah, with that inner blockchain communication will be huge. Yeah, on that note, thinking about sister chains, there's this thought of, um, and I think it was Stan Larimer, and uh, shout out to uh, Rob Finch at Cypherglass who brought this up. I watched some of their content. Um, uh, Stan Larimer talks about having uh, EOS sister chains that launch that are geographic specific. So, uh, so that they can follow all the regulations within within a geographical location. So let's say that they wanted to uh, do um, something that was specific to the United States, and so they would put all of their all the block producers would need to be in Utah, and so all the servers would be located in Utah. All the regulations would follow local regulations there, and uh, and then they would do so. It'd be Basically, so they would have accountability between the people using the chain because they have basically one point of um, one point of contact with the ground. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting use of use of. Um, it is. It's. Um, I, I think his his son might disagree slightly with that vision, though, because I think if you look at Dan's vision for the version two constitution, he's he's looking to strip out most of that constitutional layer into the DAP layer instead and move it away from this, this base protocol layer. And if you did do manage to achieve that, uh, quite how it would all work, it, it still remains a little bit hazy for me and I'm still not fully clear on the vision. But if it was possible, what that would mean is that uh, you could, in, in effect, have a DAP that was uh, finance-specific for Europe and another one for the US and another one for other countries, uh, all on the same chain. So, in other words, the chain would cease to be the issue. It would then be down to that configuration and its own internal uh, set of rules. And it might be down to the arbitrator that, that um, it selected, for example, and so on and so forth. It's kind of, you know, there's a lot of things that we as a community in EOS have to gradually work through here. And now we're getting close to the referendums. We're at the business end of some of this stuff. You know, we've had four months of talking and arguing. And we're about to, I think, finally see the community start to express some views as we work through some of this. Yeah, you know, that's actually a decent point. Why not do it on the DAP level as opposed to the uh, as opposed to the, the blockchain level? I mean, it seems like Warbly is a decent example of someone or a, a chain that's trying to follow specific regulations and be fully compliant, but still remains decentralized with their block producers. So it seems like they're proving a concept that maybe that's not necessary. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, that, you know, both versions actually could work. Mm -hmm. It's just that Dan is, I think he's very wary of the idea of uh, the likes of ECAF and other kinds of central related control that could get out of control, as it were. So so, some of the best uh, well-intentioned early designs can end up becoming a huge problem further down the line. Well, yeah, it adds these, it adds these, this element of fragility to the system when you, you know, we can't, if we can't predict what's going to happen so far in the future, then we need to limit the variables as much as possible in the beginning is, is kind of the thought that sounds like Dan has, which, which makes a lot of sense. We, you know, when we have no idea what's going to happen, why, why bring it out early, you know? My, my view with all of these kinds of things is, is if you're considering whether or not it's going to work long term, consider human nature. So human nature usually has, 
individuals within it who are going to try and self-serve. They're going to try and gain the system to their advantage. So you have to simply therefore look at whatever is being put in place and say, can this be gained to my advantage in some fashion? And try and be, try and almost step outside the box and think about, never mind how things are now, can I bend these rules in some way, shape or form and maybe add some innovation as well that could gain the system? I mean, the obvious example of that was looking at how the original proof of work concept came in. And that was before ASIC even existed as a concept. Mm-hmm. No one thought about that. And no one thought about the idea that people could pull together to increase their chances of gaining rewards and sharing them back out again, i.e. forming centralized pools. And, and that's a great example of gaming a system, in effect, to, to advantage and having unintended consequences off that. So I think whenever we're looking at all these different aspects of configuration, we should probably try and keep a healthy you know, mindset of, of thinking about can it be gained. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Steemit's a great example too. They, they're constantly trying to tweak the incentives little here and there. And every time there's all these unintended consequences of people are extremely creative, especially when there's money on the line. And especially oh, yeah. when they love yeah. sitting in front of their computer, like finding ways to, you know, they'll just do it just for the lulls sometimes, you know, but. Oh yeah, totally. You know, I mean, so. we, we're also seeing that with some of the early hacks going on as well, whereby, you know, some early code vulnerabilities in some of the applications, for example. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, there's a monetary incentive. I, I think in some cases, uh, you know, the, these early, early hackers are just doing it because they can mm-hmm. and, and they're just interested in exploiting, exploiting these holes as well. Yeah, well, there's a rich history in the in the white and black cat hacker community of of oh, yeah. messing with each <laughs> other. So it's that's not going to die anytime soon. So that definitely needs to be taken into account for sure. Um, what do you think as far as on that note? What as far as like security and uh, what do you think? Have you seen any big mistakes with the general community that people need to watch out for 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 EO security or? Yeah, I mean, well. Uh, the, there have been a surprising number of people still falling for what I consider to be quite obvious sorts of phishing scams. So of, of some of the biggest uh, hacking um, compromised account situations we've had post-launch, where we've had previously used and secured accounts, um, we've had, I think, a 600,000 EOS account compromised and a 2 million EOS account compromised. Yeah. Both of them by relatively unsophisticated uh, phishing scams of sorts. One, I believe, was, was, a, was a fake down Larimer that approached them via an introduction to somebody else on, on Telegram without going into details of the, of the case um, and managed to somehow scam them with, a, with a, a well-spun story by bringing them into this, this web of trust. And when your guard's down, you become much more susceptible to, to being talked into something. That, that's how the best scam artists, they, they, they sweet talk people over time when they're not really, and they, they become scammed before they realize it. And this is what happened in that instance. This other one, that I think it was the two million years case, he, he just registered on a, um, on a, on a web portal uh, and put his private key in. Something I think he downloaded that app off, uh, off the app store on Apple. And he assumed that that meant it was trustworthy and put his private key in and boom. Now, in both cases, we, we've secured that, but I think for me, it still surprises me that, that we, we have very often really smart people still managing to let themselves get caught out by this stuff. But it also illustrates that if, if fairly smart people can just have a moment of craziness, anybody can. And, and this is why we do need these level of controls in place. Uh, and, and that's probably the one thing that worries me most about adopting version two of the constitution as things stand, because it would remove from my, as I see things, future protection like this for uh, token holders. So uh, Dan's vision at present doesn't have the, the coding around it to, to move everything up to the, the app layer properly, is my understanding. And if that's the case, uh, we would just simply be getting rid of ECAF in a future capacity. And we would just be watching money walk being stolen at that point, I believe. <clears throat> the block producers, I don't think, could do anything, and we wouldn't have a constitution in place to actually secure funds anymore. So we do have some, some big questions to debate as a, as a community now when we look at what constitution we're going to put up to go head-to-head with the interim one. So you're saying that version two of the constitution takes away the power for the BPs to be able to reverse these 
uh, stolen transactions or it takes it, away ECAF who would arbitrate over it? It, it takes away ECAF um, okay. it, it, in effect. Mm -hmm. So at, we would therefore have to have a fundamental reassessment of the role of block producers in that scenario, I think. So is, is that a healthy thing, for example, that block producers are arbitrarily making up their mind and almost taking on a, a judge-like role? Uh, I'm not happy with that concept particularly mm -hmm. uh, you know but on the other hand i can see why people have got concerns around what feels like a centralized nominated and unelected arbitrator too so there's yeah. both sides to this complex debate to be to be thought through i mean and you can make the argument that it gives block producers a lot more power too which isn't necessarily they've already got a lot of power yeah, yeah. i mean i mean yeah. by, we, we already proved via um, by Malman, which was, uh, uh, I think it was EOS Argentina, um, that actually the, the BPs already had pseudo level powers in a roundabout way, which is why uh, that was purely why it was created, just to prove that, that uh, concept. And thereafter, therefore, the, the token holders could be at least more, uh, more accepting of the fact that when we therefore added in what's called RAP now, it's been rebranded from pseudo. But it's the, the same effective thing that um, these powers are not new. They are there anyway, and they're not being used for anything at present. They will only be used on the basis of ECAF orders. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's at the moment the controlling and limiting factor uh, around their usage. So I, for one, and I'm speaking as a BP, would be uncomfortable with that idea of these powers not being very, very closely guarded. I'm not sure the community wants to hand away that, that current safeguard that we have which is because I, I was speaking to somebody at the event and they they mentioned that they heard that eos accounts got frozen um and they said that that's why they were not going to invest in eos and they didn't believe in it so i explained to him the safeguards around it and the two million eos holder who now is going to get his money back and he, he changed his view a little bit at that point because his view was that it was uncontrolled mm -hmm. and, and you can see why that would make people deeply uncomfortable yeah, and you know, it, it adds a level of comfort knowing that if you make some crazy mistake that there's a possibility at least of getting your crypto back. You know, it's tr moving EOS around is feels much more comfortable than moving Bitcoin around. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, I think that's because it's, it's closer to mirroring the real world again. So mm -hmm. if you think about it, you and I have real world protections to a degree with moving of money around right now. Um, so it, if you were, you, if you were to transfer money to me and you accidentally hit the wrong account number and that account number existed, it wouldn't just bounce back to your account. It would transfer to that other account. And it could be a very, very long, challenging job trying to get your money back, but you've got a very high degree of chance of getting your money back. Mm -hmm. Um, it's happened once to me in my life and that was a dumb moment, but I did get the money back. So, uh, you know, obviously EOS kind of mirrors that same level of, of, of protections. And to, I think this feeds back to the mass adoption question, which is, I don't believe personally that you can see people putting in huge amounts of money if the moment they make one silly mistake and get compromised, they, they could see their entire life savings literally half-inched and, and stolen in front of them with no recourse whatsoever. That, that is probably a system that is not going to ever achieve mass adoption realistically. And, uh, and I think the same applies. So I think the, the underlying aims to add that, those level of securities into, into the system are, are admirable and probably need to be, people need to consider why we're doing this, which is to try and achieve mass adoption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, and, and that's the trade-off. That's, that's the kind of the, one of the main arguments that I make for EOS and DPoS is that there needs to be some sort of middle ground. If you have this code is law, and then on the opposite side, you have, you know, the government does, or the banks kind of do what they want and you're kind of at their mercy. There's this in-between ground that I think EOS hits really nicely. It's not, you know, you're not going to hit a typo and lose your life savings. But also, you do have a lot of control and a lot of transparency over what's happening with your money. And I think that that, that balance is what's so, you know, what's so revolutionary. Oh. Yeah, but but you know this is this is the thing. It could be this is this. You and I are having a debate right now, which has lasted, I don't know, let's say fifteen minutes. The community's <laughs> been debating this all year. Yeah, and and at some point we're going to have to face facts. We're all we'll be ready for a referendum, and and the community's going to have to decide what it's voting on. Even 
Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, on that note, uh, the referendum is close to the referendum voting portal where people can go in and vote on these types of issues and we can move forward. Where's the referendum um, voting portal? Is it, it's close to beta at this point? Where are we at? Yeah, it, it's close to, to beta now. And it was so, so the original story behind the referendum contract, um, it it became apparent that nothing was being delivered by Block One on that front, and I think I, you know, I can see from legal reasons why they were keeping clear of things like that because it's decision making in the network, and you know they've been very clear that that's not what they were were there to do. Um, so, so we were at a point where there was an initial early working group, and and in the end we pulled off two of our early devs from Shintai to help get that kicked off, and we did some early iterations on the contract. I think we did three, and then. At that point, actually, EOS Nation and EOS Canada really stepped up and came in and said, look, yeah, we're going to really help push this forward, which was ideal because it meant I could get my devs back for Shintai when we were already running late at that point in terms of trying to get deployed as early as we could. Uh, so they really owned that process as far as I'm aware. You know, they've pushed it forward. They've done most of the work on this, uh, and it's been a lot of work. The fact that they're still doing this now at least two months later, shows you how much work's been required to get this done. And it is quite complex because they're trying to store multiple referenda that can be uh, issued simultaneously, um, on vote, on-chain voting as well, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's got to be highly secure as well. So, and it's, it's um, yeah, it's been, as far as I'm aware now, I think we're about two weeks away from this being a reality. Wow. It's right around the corner, actually. So one of the questions I've had with the referendum voting portal is how do the questions that show up uh, get selected? Do you, have they? Yeah. So, so, well, I mean, this, this almost comes down to the likes of wording and ordering too. Um, so I, that's a great question and one I'm probably not best placed to answer actually, because the last time I'd uh, been involved in some of those discussions, that there was a lot of debate about who even gets to, to word a, a referendum. Yeah. Arguably that in itself is a huge amount of power too. Timing of a referendum is another big deal. I mean, if you, if you have absolute control over the timing of when a, a referendum is put to the, to the community, in theory, that means it could be gained by virtue of the fact that you can release news that maybe is, you know, it changes community opinion on something. So you know, we're almost getting back to that real, the real world idea of elections and when they're called and when what do governments do to try and influence news and, and reporting and so on and so forth to influence uh, election results. So, yeah, I mean, it's like when the uh, when the government signs bills into you know into uh, at like midnight on Christmas and things like that, and then people don't notice because they got Christmas and New Year's and no one's paying attention, and all of a sudden all this stuff happened, you know? Yeah, and I, I think the, the way they're talking about these referenda to try and get around that is that they, none of them will be happening too fast. So I believe it's it's an average vote that's been placed over a given period of time. It was as much as three months was originally being talked about. Um, but really, of course, not every referendum is going to be the same. Some Something as big as constitution Arguably, yes, it needs to be over a long period of time. It could be, though, that we have some referenda on much smaller things. And if they are the case, it's not going to make us very dynamic as a community if it's the minimum amount of time is three months per referendum, right? So mm -hmm. I, I'm sure they've been debating this more. I'll be fascinated to see what they, they propose when it, it gets nearer and comes through because I'm a little out of the loop on some of this right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's going to be a, that's going to be revolutionary in itself. This idea of people coming together and almost being able to vote dynamically. If you had a three month waiting period and you're hearing people debate in the community and you put your vote in two weeks in and then you keep paying attention to the debate, you have a chance to change your mind or, you know, that's a, that kind of was a. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's how, exactly how it should be. I mean, in theory, right. If you look at the, the voting mechanism for BPs as a perpetual election, you could in theory have a perpetual referendum on a subject, couldn't you? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you could almost actually have this, this scenario whereby you could could rule out uh, or, or change your mind on something. It could undo a referendum. Now, I'm not saying that's actually going to happen, but in theory it's possible. Yeah. Well, the, the ability for people to vote and have a voice is, is, is huge. And I know that there's some BPs that are even trying to I think it's uh, EOS Argentina, possibly, who's going to try to help host an election with blocked with the EOS blockchain. So 
it'll be interesting yeah. to hear how that how that all pans out. Well, anything anything like that's huge because then you get onto real world corruption, and and that's a big big deal when you consider some of the benefits of blockchain. So any anything where you're looking at you know these sorts of scenarios that are potentially going to get some of the biggest impact and benefit of blockchain for me, you, you have to examine corruption in, in areas of the world where it's endemic and, and there huge potential value there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, so we got Shintai as far as people being able to, um, you know, lease out their tokens and get a reward. What other, what other kind of big ways do you recommend for people to put their EOS to work? Uh, so in terms of putting it to work, I mean, there's a range of ways that, that in theory, uh, people can add value. So, you know, via what, as soon as we've added in, um, I mean, via Bank of Stake, I don't think Bank of Stake enables, yeah, it, Bank of Stake's more of a kind of a, a CPU emergency type site is my understanding. But what you'll be able to do with Shintai soon, for example, is charitable, charities and charitable projects, the likes of the Karma token is, is one sort of charitable project. Um, well, you'd be able to actually um, go on via Shintai and do a long-term lease and stake out your bandwidth and CPU to enable it to run for free or at a reduced cost. Oh, if you're really cool. feeling charitable, you can forego the income of it and just let them use your tokens. You know, so, you know, uh, that, that is coming, that kind of thing, if you're looking at it from a purely... I, I mean, this is actually something that we're doing. Uh, so EOS42 has an incubator and a VC fund that we're nominally formed. Now, obviously, we're early in the ecosystem, so it's very small because most of the rewards we're putting straight back into the team, development, and so on and so forth. But we've set aside some to start growing this out. And um, one of the aspects of incubation is really that we're providing a combination of our development expertise, which is the team that's been building Shintai primarily, is its big thing since, since launch, uh, because most people haven't got hands-on development um, experience on, on the ES blockchain yet, and they certainly haven't to this level. So be able to provide that for commercial projects and, and really assist them with the rollout is a big deal. But the other things that we can do, because we do have a reasonable number of tokens, is that in theory we can help stake um, these projects as they deploy. And we can, for example, um, give them uh, assistance when they're ma making airdrops taking snapshots, various things like that that are, are going to enable them to as cheaply as possible deploy on the mainnet. So this is the sort of thing that certainly we're going to be doing as a, as a block producer. And it, it's a tough one, though, for, for, with regards to um, people themselves. It wouldn't surprise me if we start to see EOS derivatives trading in various forms start to kick off soon as well. So, you know, at that point, we'll end up having uh, EOS linked to a range of other underlying asset classes that can be synthetically traded. And that will mean that you can use your EOS to suddenly get exposure to completely different markets. Wow, that, that'll, be, that'll be quite a concept. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's, yeah uh, I, I think it's more than possible. I mean, I've, I've been taking an idle look into seeing if it was doable, and I think it is. And the range of different um, decentralized exchanges that have launched, I know for a fact that at least one or two of them are trying to work on the derivative side of things as well. And what that really practically means is It'll enable you to um, make income in a range of different ways, more customized, and it will also enable you to get exposure to other markets via your EOS as well without trading out them. So it's, yeah, some pretty cool stuff will be coming, I think, over the next year. Yeah, big news, and and more research. You know, real real quick, we have a uh, Eva launching. That'll be cool on Monday. You know, yeah. that's that's that'll be fun to see actual driving app out there. I'm looking forward to see what what ends up happening there. Um, oh, actually, yeah. And talking of exciting stuff, I mean, I, I, I think for me, um, the, 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 one of the things I'm most excited about is this project that Galaxy Digital have uh, invested in. So this is, you know, high fidelity is, 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 is the, the virtual reality game. They put $35 million into that, but it's by the creator of, of Second Life. And, and the big aspect of that that's going to be on chain on EOS is the currency. So, you know, at that point, you move beyond the... What's the name of it? In half in Second Life, this the something dollar. The it, it's it's got a, a name, um, but it, it can't be traded outside of Second Life itself. Mm -hmm. Whereas the moment you add in a virtual world currency, <laughs> you'll be able to literally trade this thing back out in the markets and then use it either in the virtual world or the real one. It becomes mm -hmm. an indistinguishable crossover. 
That is insane, actually. That is yeah. because, uh, you, you know, you heard about there was like these outrageous articles back in the day about how in the second life people were, but basically there were people like dying because they hadn't left their house or like forgot to drink water because they like <laughs> stayed logged in for so long. You know, but it is like a, it's, it's a really, um, it's a heck of a concept thinking about that ready player one world where people well, have a that's whole what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's almost mm-hmm. a bit of a ready player one esque side to it now. Uh, so, and I think Dan's mentioned something to do with this recently as well. So I think clearly they're all super excited about the potential of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Second Life was by far the biggest of that generation of VR worlds. So if this, you know, the, the creator of that really knows what they're doing. They've got that whole experience and they're leveraging off. So I think it's going to be incredible that I asked the, the, um, Stephen, the, the head of Galaxy Digital um, Europe off the record what he thought of EOS actually. Because I was just curious, because unlike the other EOS VC funds, they're a huge VC fund, crypto VC fund in their own right. And he just said to me, we are super bullish on EOS. That was his words uh, before, we, before we went up on the panel. And I thought that, that was good to hear just to get a, a very different perspective, maybe from you and I who are immersed in, in the community here down at the grassroots level. What's a more institutional view on this? And the, the answer is incredibly so. And part of the justification he gave was just also drawing upon the huge amounts of institutional money flowing into crypto to EOS right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not going anywhere else. It's going to EOS and EOS related projects and funds that are looking to invest in EOS. And off the back of that night, I have got about six or seven meetings with major funded projects that were looking to deploy on Ethereum that now are looking for advice to deploy on EOS instead at present. Wow. wow. So this kind of shows you what's going on in the background right now that none of us are really that aware of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. the, what's it like for projects that are built on Ethereum to port over? Is that, so it, in, they were talking about a couple of weeks. Is that feasible? I think it depends on the project and I think it depends on its model and its, and its complexity and so forth. I mean, as I'm discovering with regards to synchronization of a front end UI to the EOS blockchain, uh, with, with a token leasing platform, that can be an incredibly complex thing for our developers to try and make super robust. And we've got, for example, right now, uh, defer transactions is one of the great things about EOS, but there can be micro forks in the chain, which mean that those a deferred transaction can further down the line turn out not to have happened. So you've got a UI that shows it, and then suddenly it doesn't turn out to have gone through. These are the sorts of highly complex problems you have when you are synchronizing on-chain with activity. So the, these are the things that we're all gradually as a community working towards and, and through. And it's actually, that sort of problem is not just unique to, to Shintai. It's some of the other cutting edge projects from other BPs and other commercials are, uh, are working on those same issues right now. But we'll work through those and we'll come up with robust solutions and then they'll become best practice that becomes standard within EOS. And I suspect no one will even be talking about stuff like this in another year. Yeah. How many devs do you have working there at EOS 42? Man, they're expensive. <laughs> it seems like, I mean, <laughs> you guys are doing so work, right? so, Well, yeah, so I, I went with a really simple attitude, actually. So I, I pulled, on, pulled in guys from around the, the community because um, it was a community project. So we've got three full-stack, full-time de- developers. Uh, on top of that, we've got um, two who are full-time on the block production side. Then we've got... Um, uh, Korean community full-time and he's also part of the VC fund and is, is an, the, the lead analyst for that. Um, we've also got two for the, the Chinese community and um, various other aspects there as well and one full, full-time head of community as well. And then there's me just doing, fuck those really. No, it's maybe you need to bleep, bleep that out but you know, <laughs> what, what exactly am I now? I, I have no idea. So I suppose you put me in as head of strategy, whatever that really means. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the, you're, you're the jack of all trades there. You got to have someone doing that. So that means um, master of none, doesn't it? Oh, well. <laughs> oh, I know where that goes, but you're right. So. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are just doing so much. It's like you start, you think about all the projects you're in. It's like, seems like you got a 50 person team or something going there. So yeah, there's nine of us right now though. So it's, it's, I mean, it's not a small team, but I, I always thought actually that uh, as a BP, uh, I always remember saying I 
thought we'd probably need about eight to ten by next summer. And we've got that number by within about three months. We had that number, so I don't. We don't have any hiring plans now for the foreseeable future. You know, the token price is very low. Uh, the block rewards are, are not particularly high. They they cover all of our costs and a little bit more, and it enables us to to be lucky enough to work full time in this area, and that's great. So, you know, a huge huge blessing to just be where we are right now. But yeah, we certainly couldn't afford to take on a bigger team than we've got. Yeah. What was your founding team? How many people? Oh, it was four of us. So it was myself, Charles Holtkamp on the technical side. And then we, we had Liam, who was uh, fluent in Chinese and Spanish, based out of Toronto. And we um, had Sean Kang, who's um, based in Seoul, Korea. So okay. that's a diverse like little group. But yeah, we, we kept it pretty tight for launch. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, What's the, uh, I know that some of your team you said would be in EOS, possibly at the SF Hackathon. I'll be there. Um, so hopefully I'll see some of your guys there. Um, I'm sure you will. Yeah. I'm just not sure how many yet. Okay, cool. Um, and then for people listening, the day after the San Francisco Hackathon is the Scaling Blockchain Conference. And that's going to be in San Francisco also on Monday. And a bunch of the block producers will be there. Um, I'll be there doing being the MC, so I'll put that in the show notes. And if anyone is in San Francisco, might as well hang out the next day and meet some more people. So, um, it's gonna be awesome. Well, yeah. What What are you, is for EOS forty two and for Shintai and all the projects you got going on? Where would you like? Where can people find you, or where's the best place to find you online? It's probably at EOS forty two on Telegram. I guess it's, it's probably at. I mean, really though, we've got the the EOS London group because I'm, I'm I tend to be pretty involved there. Um, we've, we've got the Shintai groups as well and, the, and a, how many thousand EOS Telegram channels have we got? Too many. <laughs> yeah, I had to mute them all recently because I was just, my phone was going to melt, I yeah. think. So. Yeah, no, 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 same here. This is what I've had to do as well. I've, I've almost lost track, which is a shame now. There's too many. I know. But, um, but yeah, and, and the, the big thing we're about to do now, we're just starting work at the moment on a commercial project next because we thought what we'll do to most add the value for the communities is we've got a quite an innovative project we're going to do that um, is really off the back of everything we've been doing for with Shintai. So we've learned so much from that now. We think we're well placed to do a really kick-ass commercial project, airdrop a hell of a lot of, of the ownership of that onto the onto the mainnet and, and give back into something that where we can all share on hopefully some some you know major success on that. And uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident in the idea. So we'll just uh, I'll tell you what, I'll come back on further down the line and tell you more about it. How's that? Yeah, that's cool. Well, I like the, I like the sound of a, uh, of a side or a commercial project there. That's cool. Well, uh, we were thinking it through and we just thought the other B, so many of the other BPs are, are building this continuous stream now of smaller utilities that are incredibly useful. You know, actually we, we just thought we, we be better priced. What, what else really needs now we feel is, is good quality commercial projects. So we thought we'll just do one in that case as a next step because yeah that that's what's going to most enrich the the, the main net and the token holders and that's our job so, so we're go something by commercially means something for kind of the masses that will push adoption yeah that'll it'll push adoption that'll help the eos ecosystem grow and uh and in theory as a project obviously make a ton of ton of money and therefore make the the token value shoot up and given that they will deploy a load of that to the, the eos mainnet itself that means everybody well, um, seems I, like a, a win-win, right? I, I like the sound of that. That's cool. Like, go for it. Well, when you, uh, you know, when you're ready to kind of make that uh, public, I would love to um, hear about it live here. That'd be cool. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you what. We'll make a date now. I'll tell you first beforehand when we announce it. How's that? All right, I'd love it. I'll I'll have the scoop cool. on on whatever interesting project you got coming up. Um, and I've got a I got a little hidden project coming up here as well. I've been uh, so. I'm going to, uh, you know, we'll see how quickly I can get things together to, to tell people about that. But um, that's yeah. great. Have you got any kind of rough timeline? How long do you reckon? Well, yep, a few weeks. Yes, I'm yeah. actually hoping to possibly get things ready by um, at least to talk about it by the uh, San Francisco Hackathon. So that's my right. goal. Not too far. Not too far. Exciting. So yeah. Exciting. It's all about having secrets to keep them, keep them tantalized, tantalized at the EOS podcast. You got to come back yeah. for more. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be crypto if it wasn't right. It's just that we're, we're not talking about the token price as much at the moment. 
Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I know <laughs> the token price has been gone. Um, I saw a uh, what did I see the other day. I saw a uh, well, this is totally off topic, but we're gonna say it anyway. Uh, it was called a Earth Roamer, and it's this giant four by four RV that looked like uh, that looked like you could go to you know across Russia in it or something. Um, but anyway, I, if if uh, I'm not into the Lambos, but someday, you know, 20 years from now, that's my, that's my retirement vehicle. So, so we don't need yeah, to talk about <laughs> it, It'll be electric probably in those days, won't it? Yeah. And probably autonomous self-driving and you'll be looking going, this sucks. I've finally got this car of my dream and I can't even drive it. Yeah, no. Uh, um, <laughs> well, uh, this has been, this has been great, man. Thank you for coming on. Was there anything that yeah. we uh, kind of glazed over that, um, that you that you want to mention before we kind of wrap it up here i think it's just been a great free-flowing chat it's been great to talk to you and uh yeah no, i mean if uh we must do it again maybe, maybe we should make it a four monthly thing right and we'll see where we are in four months oh wow that's yeah. a long time in crypto terms that is that's that's a that's like a four that's like the four-year plan but uh we will uh <laughs> when you're ready for when you're ready for your big announcement we'll we'll, we'll time it on that so we'll be in touch awesome All right. right. Well, thank you guys for coming and listening to the US podcast and we will catch you next time. Cheers. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is and uh, your time is.